Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is New Bedford's news talk station, the place where the South Coast comes to talk about all the hottest issues locally and beyond. This is WBSM. Call in to have your voice heard at 508-996-0500. Or open up the WBSM app and hit app chat to text us. Or open line to leave us a voicemail. Let's hear it, South Coast. And welcome back in the third and final hour here on Friday morning. And right now it is time to have our weekly discussion with New Bedford City Council President Linda Morad. And joining her this morning is Councilor at Large Shane Burgo. Good morning, Councilors. How are you? Good morning, Tim. Good morning, Tim. How are you? Doing all right. Thank you both for joining us a little bit earlier than usual. <laughs> we usually do this I segment. Had my, I haven't had my pot of coffee yet. <laughs> I've been uh, I've been living this entire week on Earl Grey tea. That's how I've been able to get up so early. So it's also been a pretty busy week for the council as well. I want to just start off quickly, uh, Council President Morad. Uh, we spoke yesterday with the mayor, and we had the story up at WBSM.com and on the app that he um, he presented the budget to the city council on Wednesday night. As he pointed out, the only time he addresses the council. Uh, taking a look at the budget this year, and I know there's going to be a process involved, and you can kind of tell us about that process, but just taking a look at it uh, this year, you know, how do you feel about the, the, the financial shape of the city going into the next fiscal year? Well, I mean, I'm concerned, and I know he is as well, because we had this conversation earlier this week about the size of the increase in this year's budget, uh, not only in the general fund, but in the wastewater and water enterprise fund. <coughs> and the use of opera funds and free cash to balance the budget again this year. So, um, you know, I have concerns. I, I'm encouraged uh, the mayor to seriously consider removing some of the long-standing vacant positions out of the budget, not raise the tax base uh, to fund those positions, pension, health insurance, and salary. Uh, I assured him that if for some reason by some miraculous uh, feat, those, uh, we were able to fill every single one of those positions that we would work with him to put them back in the budget and fund them. But uh, he chose in his address to uh, chastise myself and my colleagues about considering vacant positions. But uh, not, not including police and fire, there's over 100 vacant positions. Many of them have been open a year or more. Many of them have no applicants. Many of them are not even posted. Uh, Council Burgo hasn't seen this information yet because I received it uh, per my request a couple weeks ago from the personnel director, but it was incomplete. So I sent it back and asked that it be completed, and then I will share it with my colleagues. But, uh, you know, it's just I would, I would have liked to see this be a level-funded budget, and unfortunately it's not. I don't know if uh, Councilor Burgo has some comments he'd like to make as well. Uh, well, I guess all I would say is, you know, uh, one of the points that I'm a little upset with, too, is that we're bringing up the discussion around the um, 
uh, health care coverages again. Um, for me, it really comes down to quality of life for our city employees. Um, you know, the, the mayor is looking to potentially save a million dollars in a year, um, which, again, a million dollars is a lot of money. But when we're talking about a half a billion dollar budget, um, it, it won't really save any money. Um, and, and what it really ends up doing is, you know, increasing co-pays, reducing coverages for our city workers. So it's, uh, you know, kind of frustrating that this came up last year. Uh, the council, you know, got rid of it, and here we are discussing it again. So I'm a little disappointed that we're still uh, beating this drum and making it sound as though it's going to save the taxpayers a lot of money when it really won't. Yeah, and it was, and it was the focus of the presentation, too. And after... This administration was unwilling to give the AFNI employees a retro uh, when we gave the Unit C people, police and fire, all retros. And, you know, the amount of the contract increase for AFNI, that's deplorable. I got calls from city employees last week when they got the increase in their pay. Now, remember, employees are paid bi-monthly, so they get two paychecks. Uh, in one, and people were telling me that their increase was 45 cents a week. That's what they got, 45 cents. Cost of living is much higher than 45 cents and no retro. Um, you know, I, I'm very I'm very concerned and I'm very disappointed in this administration. I mean, it, it, it certainly is. Um, it, it's going to be a process now for you to look at this budget and to say, you know, I, I think it was something like, 40, 40 million dollars over what was proposed last year, and so 42. now, <laughs> uh, so now you've got to take a look at that and find a way to 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 make cuts without cutting things that are going to be important to the people of the city. And I know, can you can you kind of just give us, Council President Moore, a, a little bit of the the process of what's involved in those discussions? Yes, we'll begin next week. Uh, the first presentation this year is from the school department. Um, we haven't seen their budget yet. I'm going to make that call today to Andrew Larry and find out where that is. And then we'll have an overview on Wednesday night by the CFO regarding, you know, the methodology of putting the budget together. And we'll have some small department presentations. But over the course of the next month, we will have presentations from each one of the departments. They're all on Zoom. They'll all be live streamed. Hopefully many residents will watch. Counselors will ask questions about the budget, ask questions about the revenue projections and those departments that have revenue to see whether those are realistic uh, or understated. And then, you know, try to figure out what, where the increases are other than in healthcare, uh, so that we can try to figure out why there are increases in categories this year and why they can't be level funded. That process will continue. Um, the council will then submit its budget cuts and we will have a session at the end of June. I believe it's June 26th where we'll make recommendations to uh, reduce the line items in various departments' budgets. So it'll be uh, some, some long nights for the next couple of weeks for sure. It will be. They always are. And, you know, I appreciate the department heads that come in and speak frankly and honestly. Um, obviously, if they have something in their budget, they want it. But it's our job to figure out, um, you know, where we can trim back uh, changes or requests this year so that we can minimize the tax increase that's going to happen in December because what we're doing right now is we're setting the tax rate for 2024. That's what we're doing. When we approve this budget, whatever it is, we got to raise it in taxes or in, you know, uh, money coming in from the state in order to cover the expenses that we're approving. Another big topic uh, that's been going on for the past couple weeks 
is what's going on with the housing situation. Of course, uh, that is your your purview as the chair of that committee, uh-huh. Councillor Burgo. And we are seeing, you know, as 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 I've been saying, with the the veto being sustained by the council and the the question about rent stabilization not going to be on the ballot, you have still been carrying this mantle and, and utilizing the committee and uh, and some of the committee process to be able to start having these conversations that, that you hope that the question would be initializing. Yes, uh, you know, and, and unfortunately the ballot question didn't make it through, um, but it, it doesn't mean the work uh, was going to end. Um, and, you know, I've always tried to make that very clear too, that especially with the ballot question being non-binding, um, it, it was really just meant to be a tool um, to help really push the conversation forward, which I believe it served its purpose. Um, you know, as you mentioned, that we're going to continue having uh, public hearings on this matter. Um, Council Morad uh, actually helped set up a meeting uh, with the Landlords Association. So um, myself and Councilor Gomes will be there. Um, and really, it's, it's a listening session for me. Um, because, you know, as I said, I want to bring in everybody that is going to be affected by a rent stabilization ordinance. So whether it's the landlords, the realtors, um, or in, you know, in some cases, the New Bedford Chamber of Commerce that, uh, sent a letter in. So, uh, we want to hear dissenting opinions, um, as well as those testimonies from our residents who are really facing, uh, this, this housing crunch. And, and that's that's the thing is a you know being able to involve all of the different stakeholders in this conversation and get them to the table now when they might not have been willing to come and, and speak about this necessarily until they started to hear some of this public sentiment. Uh, yes, sorry, yeah, I don't know if Council. Oh. Yeah, I think that's true. I I think they've been talking to several of us and they've been talking among themselves, but not publicly. You know, they're afraid to speak publicly because you know their landlord could. Could increase the rate the rate of the rent even higher. So you know we're we're conscious of the fact that people are struggling, and what we're trying to do uh, under Councilor Burgo's leadership is try to have the discussion and see what we can do to minimize the effect that's currently going on. And, and Councilor Burgo, I know that uh, we, I spoke with Council President Moore last week about the uh, discussions that you've had with Josh Amaral and the the. Um, I, I know that there was a, a lengthy meeting in which he laid out a lot of those plans. And if you just wanted to react to what you heard in speaking with him that night, well, yeah. So uh, you know, uh, Director Amaral, uh, as I've said many times before, a very respectable uh, someone who I trust wholeheartedly. Um, so I, I have a lot of faith in him uh, that a lot of this work is going to get done, but. Based on the questions that we we posed, uh, you know, that meeting, a lot of this, uh, you know, housing comprehensive plan, the building of New Bedford, I forget the, you know, thriving New Bedford, the long name that was, you know, very artfully made. Um, a lot of the plan is not really, uh, how do I say, you know, set in stone, I guess. Um, so even, you know, like uh, two of the motions that I had already sent to committee that were a part of the plan, you know, the, the looking at the, our accessory dwelling units, our ADUs. Um, you know, when we had someone from the planning department there, they didn't have specifics on what the administration wanted to do. Um, you know, for me, I had already talked about the, you know, different barriers that we have with ADUs, whether it's the restriction on the amount of square footage, the fact that it can't be a detached uh, building, the, the parking requirements, you know, the, the list goes on and on on uh, the different things that have been very restrictive when it comes to ADUs. Um, so I was a little disappointed that, you know, asking, well, what specifically are we going to be doing with this? Um, we were met with, oh, well, it's, it's a work in progress kind of thing. So that kind of sentiment, uh, you know, left us with, okay, well, it's going to be up to us to hold this administration accountable and make sure that this 
a housing plan isn't just words and is actually going to be developed into something. Um, and like I said, I, I, I have full faith in Director Amaral uh, to pursue this work, um, in, and I'm hoping that they will continue to work. Uh, well, Director Amaral will continue to work with this council uh, to really see this through. And I can add, if I can for a minute, you know, I have a lot of respect for uh, the planning director, Jen Carloni. She does a great job. She has a good team. Uh, one of the comments that disturbed me a little bit is, well, we have to finish this before we can do that. Uh, we, we need to multitask here. We need to move this forward. We can't concentrate on finishing one thing and then picking up the next. Uh, we have to work on more than one issue, and uh, that's one of the issues that we really need to address sooner rather than later because that's going to be a process. Once we decide what we're going to do, we got ordinances to change. We've got a process to go through both with the public meetings and the planning board and in the council, um, advertising, et cetera. And I'm sure, I'm sure we're going to hear from groups as we make suggestions as to how we want to make zoning changes to accommodate accessory dwelling units. And, and, and as part of the, the push to, to find new ways to create housing in the city, there's been a lot of talk about some of the vacant school buildings and getting those uh, moved along into development. And um, so the, the school department actually was part of the city property meeting this week. Council President Morad, can you tell us a little bit about how that went and, and how the school department felt about moving forward with these plans? I would love to do that. Unfortunately, I had a prior commitment Monday night. Council Virgo, oh. can you fill them in? <laughs> yeah, so uh, we found out that the, the school department, um, you know, does want to do a lot with these buildings in the sense that, I guess, you know, technically under the school's purview, so in order for the city to actually do anything with them, the school committee has to vote uh, to essentially relinquish the building. Uh, it's, it's a similar process that we have, like when we have a city building that we want to send an RSP out for, we have to send a letter to the department head saying, hey, can the city use this at all? Do any of the department heads need it before we sell it off? Um, so the same process uh, goes through with the school department. Uh, if there's an old school, like, for example, the Dunbar School. Um, so that was one of the properties that they um, they discussed. Uh, the Dunbar School is actually under agreement right now with uh, Cruz uh, Development uh, with a tentative closing date of uh, May 31st. Um, and uh, Cruz also was uh, uh, the company that uh, also was looking at the Phillips Ave School, um, which I, you know, I forget what year it was. It was before my time on the council um, that they were looking to develop housing at that uh, location. But those were the two schools um, that were discussed, uh, as well as the um, Duval Conding School, because right now um, we're looking at uh, possibly rebuilding uh, the Duval School as one structure where it's at currently or possibly putting it in a different uh, site location. So depending on the future of that uh, location, that building might, uh, you know, be put, put out for an RFP as well. Um, there were some other uh, public safety buildings as well uh, that they discussed, uh, you know, selling. Uh, I believe it was the um, fire station number three on Kenton Street, which the emergency management is currently in. So once they move out, um, they'll want to put that up in uh, the police station number two on Cove Road and the fire station number 11 on Brock Ave. So those are uh, three public safety sites that we'll be uh, monitoring that are going to be coming before the city property committee uh, to possibly be put out for an RFP. And I'm, and I'm sure, Councilor Burgo, that you've heard that, you know, these these would be attractive places for somebody to come in and develop because of they're usually centrally located there's usually uh, a lot of um, other you know services around them they, they make sense for 
people to want to come and live and and be part of a of a neighborhood where they can have everything that they need around them. Uh, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. You know, um, for, for me, you know, uh, uh, being coined the housing counselor, um, anytime someone asks me, "Well, what can we do with this building?" I, you know, my, the first word out of my mouth is housing. Uh, <laughs> whether that's realistic in some situations, uh, you know, I, I think that's always going to be my mantra: is like housing today, housing tomorrow, housing forever. Um, but yeah, that would be wonderful. You know, as, as we've seen, cruise construction obviously uh, likes to take these old schools and really uh, build them up. They they have a number of uh, projects they're working on currently that are uh, you know in the works, as well as Kavanaugh, uh, the Kavanaugh Group. Um, these are developers who continue to invest in New Bedford. Uh, we're very fortunate to have them. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I mentioned them specifically because they're the developers we seem to always have, and I haven't heard or seen any other new developers that we apparently have coming to the city that uh, the mayor had mentioned uh, in his veto address for the rent civilization. But I hope that we'll have some more uh, developers come in and, and, and use these properties to really grow the housing base that we have here uh, in New Bedford. In addition, I just want to add, first of all, Council Virgo, thanks. I haven't had a chance to view the tape, so I appreciate the update. But, Tim, this is part of what the council's been saying as well. You know, we don't need, you know, 80-unit uh, buildings being built. That's not the way we're going to totally solve this problem. We're going to solve this problem by, you know, 5, 10, 12 units at a time. And that's what these types of buildings will do. They're set up for that, and hopefully we can you know, pick up four or five of these and pick up four or five of these, you got 60 new units of housing and you just keep doing that. And that's how you're going to manage to make up the deficit that we currently have. And it's helpful to not have buildings that you're not utilizing, that you still have to maintain, still have to protect, still have to clean up to be able to have somebody come in and now place that on the tax rolls will make a, a difference for the city. Yep. That's um, yeah. I was going to say that was the biggest part is like getting it on the tax rolls. Like, you know, we're not generating any money. It's losing money as, as we continue on with these vacant buildings. Yep. And, uh, you know, I had a conversation. I mentioned it the other night, Council Virgo, with Attorney Garachowski, and we'll explore it more, I hope, in the next city property meeting is we need to think out of the box. You know, let's think about a way of uh, enticing a developer to take a building off our hands by making the purchase price um, you know, low enough, high enough that just not anybody's going to buy it, but low enough that it incentivizes them to pick it up. And let's give them some type of tax break during construction. Let's put a good clawback into the into the agreement. And you know, let's let's incentivize people to take these buildings off our hands and complete the construction of them. So I know we're going to have more conversation about that. I guess Attorney Garatowski has guided me. There's Mass General Law that might prohibit me from doing what I'm thinking, but let's put good minds together and let's figure out a way to do something different. Absolutely. And, and before we wrap things up, I want to ask you, Council President Morad, you were at the um, the City's Longevity Service Awards Ceremony. If you can just talk about that a little bit and, and, and how it's nice to be able to honor people who have dedicated themselves to the city. Yeah, absolutely. I, I have not missed one um, in my term as a city councilor. It's wonderful. We we recognize people with 5, 10, 15, 25. This year we had two people in 45-year service award category and several in the 35 years, two, four, six, eight, nine people in 35 years of service to the city. And um, it's generally a nice luncheon, and then the department heads uh, come to the podium. They speak about the person who's getting a longevity pin, 
and uh, the person comes up, accepts the pin, and, you know, there's photos, and it's just a nice celebratory event. This year, uh, we had our one of our people in our office, Sue Henrich, she received her uh, 25-year pin, Councilor Gomes, his 30, Councilor Connie, her 10, and um, Mayor Mitchell also got a 10-year service ride pin, so I uh, hope you all watching that tape, because uh, those of you that say we don't get along, I presented him his pin, and he gave me a hug. So make sure you check that out. <laughs> That's going to become a new gift that I think people are going to be sharing around, I think. <laughs> but well, it was very nice, and I'm glad the city does it. As I said, I, I've been serving a long time now, and the city has done it right along. And it's just nice to take the opportunity to to uh, acknowledge people who have dedicated their life to the city in the Beckwith. See, Councilor Burgo, you're just starting off in your city service, but someday you could get a pin, too. Yeah. <laughs> Something to look so. forward to. I hope so. <laughs> All right. Well, I want to thank you both for joining us this morning and uh, and keeping us updated with everything that's going on. So uh, next week, Council President Moore will be joined by you and Councilor Carney. Yes, we'll both be on in the morning with you. Sounds great. Thank okay. you both for joining us this early. Thank you, as always, Tim. Have a good weekend. Yep. You as well. Take care. That is um, New Bedford City Council President Linda Morad and Council President Shane Burgo. Why don't we take a quick break? And when we come back on the other side, Kate will have all of your WBSM news. Stay tuned. All right. Welcome back in. It is time to go now into the newsroom with Kate Robinson, who has your latest WBSM news. A group of content creators are suing the state of Montana over its new TikTok ban. Governor Greg Gianforte signed a law on Wednesday that prohibits TikTok from operating in Montana and doesn't allow residents to download the app to their phones. A lawsuit filed by five TikTok creators claims the new law violates the First Amendment. The Republican House Freedom Caucus is calling for no further discussion on the debt ceiling until the Senate approves a GOP bill that ties any increase to spending cuts. Democratic Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, however, says the GOP bill is dead on arrival. Congress needs to raise the limit as soon as June 1st to avoid a potential default. A hearing will be held in Massachusetts today to determine if the accused Pentagon leaker will remain behind bars. Air National Guardsman Jack Teixeira was arrested and charged last month with leaking highly classified military documents. The documents included classified information on the war in Ukraine. The U.S. and G7 countries are rolling out a sweeping package of new sanctions and export controls against Russia over its war against Ukraine. The Biden administration plans to cut off about 300 individuals, entities, vessels and aircraft from the U.S. financial system for circumventing sanctions on Russia. More migrants are landing in Denver, but this time they were sent by Texas Governor Greg Abbott. Denver Mayor Michael Hancock is slamming the decision, saying, quote, Abbott has decided he wants to chase cameras. Buffoonery is what it is, and it's really a very insensitive, a disingenuous act uh, from someone who, who uh, claims to be a servant of the people, and he really isn't. Several dozen migrants were bussed overnight from Texas and left at Civic Center Park and to the care of the city of Denver. The city got 24 hours notice. The Texas governor tweeted on Thursday the state would, quote, continue bussing migrants to self-declared sanctuary cities like Denver to provide relief for small border towns. Denver says it spent about $17 million on aid while only receiving $900,000 from Washington. 
Starting today, New York City will begin using the Roosevelt Hotel in Midtown Manhattan as a welcoming operations center for asylum seekers. Scott Pringle reports. New York City Health and Hospitals will take charge of migrant operations at the Roosevelt Hotel, which was put out of business during the coronavirus pandemic. Now, the mayor's office says some families will be assigned rooms there and given medical care and vaccinations. Migrants already in the city will be able to go to the hotel to get services. Previously, volunteers played a big part in welcoming migrants at the Port Authority bus terminal. Scott Pringle, NBC News Radio, New York. Meanwhile, a leading Hispanic rights group is advising immigrants not to travel to Florida. The group issued a travel advisory on Wednesday after Florida passed a new bill designed to stop the flow of illegal immigrants into the state. A top official with the group said the new law opens the door for anyone who looks Hispanic to be questioned if they have authority to be in the country. And the Walt Disney Company is announcing a billion-dollar cut to its operations in Orlando, Florida. It comes as the entertainment giant battles with Republican Governor Ron DeSantis over controversial new state laws. On Thursday, Disney said it's scrapping plans to relocate 2,000 California workers to Florida. SpaceX is launching another batch of Internet satellites. A Falcon 9 rocket blasted off from Cape Canaveral Space Force Station at 2.19 Eastern Time this morning, carrying 22 second-generation Starlink satellites into low-Earth orbit. These will further SpaceX's mission to spread broadband Internet around the world. Traffic came to a standstill at the San Ysidro Port of Entry yesterday. Bree Tennis explains. Striking taxicab drivers in Mexico shut down part of the San Ysidro port of entry to the U.S. late yesterday. A live camera from border traffic showed Mexican forces along with barricades blocking several lanes of traffic. The cab drivers were protesting a mandatory route through the city, the government's forcing them to take. Drivers say that route has become unsafe and they want to go a different way. The Mexican government has also asked taxi drivers to work together with other agencies like Lyft and Uber after traffic was sufficiently backed up. Up, the protesters pulled out and U.S. Customs Border Protection continued their work. I'm Bree Tennis, NBC News Radio. In sports, it's game two of the Eastern Conference Finals tonight. The Celtics take on the Miami Heat at TD Garden at 8.30. And the Red Sox are in San Diego to play the Padres. That game at 9.40. Now for a look at your local forecast from ABC6. It is Friday. We are warming up today. We're going to see temperatures get into the mid to upper 60s. It'll be a little breezy today with a south wind. For tomorrow, we do have some rain moving into the forecast. That'll be arriving in the later afternoon hours, and that'll move through the evening and overnight hours. But there is not going to be any lightning with this, so it should not affect any of your evening concert plans for Saturday night. From the ABC6 Weather Center, I'm meteorologist Skylar Spindler on New Bedford's News Talk Station 1420 WBSN. Right now it is 55 degrees and sunny. I'm Kate Robinson for WBSM News. Stay up to date with WBSM, New Bedford's news talk station. And get breaking news alerts with the WBSM app. Right back to your phone calls at 508-996-0500. Good morning. You are on WBSM. Hello. Oh, yeah. Morning. Hey, um, yeah, I heard you doing the interview with the um, uh, with their supervisors, right? The, yep, the city council president and uh, one of the councils at large. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, when they were talking about public buildings and whether or not to bulldoze them, or I, I didn't hear that much talk about re, um, uh, you know, rehabbing them. 
But I, it really bugs me that, like, um, with with climate change, we're ending up with weird storms. And a place of refuge, you know, an emergency shelter, like an old school or an old, you know, some, some public building that uh, uh, could be used for emergency shelters. I don't like this idea of bulldozing public lands and then sometimes even selling it. That seems real short-sighted. And, uh, uh, you well, know, I... But, I mean, I would, I would counter that with saying how often have you had to leave your home and go move into an abandoned school building for shelter? Well, I don't know if uh, if you're aware of it. I mean, you know, I understand. I, I'm calling you from California, and uh, I'm the guy from San Francisco. And, you know, we've had, just in the last uh, number of months, starting in January through March, uh, we had storm after storm and a lot of flooding. Uh, you know, you've had uh, some flooding up there, but if you're aware the... Uh, it, it used to be that the tornado alley was in Kansas. Mm-hmm. You remember, like Wizard of Oz, right? The tornado comes ripping through on a regular basis and takes her house. Well, the National Weather Bureau has now declared that the new tornado alley is up the Mississippi River Valley and into the Ohio River Valley. So they're ending up with tornadoes up in Akron, uh, you know, down in Mississippi, Arkansas, uh Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, uh, you know, tornadoes are now becoming more prominent in uh, the uh, eastern Midwest. It is it is still, you know, it is still a rarity for us here. And I can tell you, you know, I'm 45 years old and all of my years, I, I can recall very few times when people have had to go and leave their homes and go to a shelter like that. And I think the counter to that is these schools are now abandoned because they built new buildings. And those new buildings could just as easily house people in, a, in an emergency situation if they needed them to as well. Um, well I'm couldn't just, they be just as easily used for public events? You know, or well, like people it, have a street fair or something like that. Well, you know, like in the old days, uh, Wisconsin, Minnesota, a lot of places used to have like winter festivals that were, you know, out on the ice and whatnot. But sure, but if, you, if you've got properties that are sitting there and not, not bringing in any tax money, you've got a housing crisis, which is the biggest problem that we have here, is there's not enough places for people to live in the city, and you've got these properties that, as, as the counselor said, are costing you money, not making you money, not bringing in tax revenue. It, it, it doesn't make sense to just let them sit there and just in case you need them when they could be turned into homes for people who need them every single day as opposed to just just, you know, shelter when there might be a storm. Um, well, there's there's one last thing, and I'll, I understand you got to go, but we just, our last election cycle here in San Francisco, and California is really hard hit by real estate speculators who will buy land and keep it empty. And they've jacked up the prices of, of apartments here in San Francisco as high as $6,000 a month for a one-bedroom. And, uh, you know, people are happy now when they're seeing a two-bedroom go for 5000 right? Stuff like this. Crazy numbers. And it turns out that there are six times more empty units in San Francisco than there are homeless. There are no more than 10,000 homeless, but there are 60,000 empty units. Now, if there were uh, uh, supply and demand uh, structures on real estate people... Rent would be down to five hundred bucks a month. 
maybe even 200 a month. If there's 6 to 1 ratio for empty units to ho- to homeless people, how much uh, opportunity is there to, uh, you know, to fill up those without having to rebuild? And I, I, uh, I ran for school board down in St. Louis back in 1982, and the guy that won was a real estate con artist who basically was going to trick the school board into selling its land so that the uh, uh, real estate speculators could cash in on it. And they, they had the athletic fields, they had sports buildings, they had all kinds of stuff that they ended up selling just because this con artist, he ended up in prison for it, and the school Ooh. district ended up losing land. So it's it's a, a dirty trick when there are empty uh, houses out there, but savings and loan scandal, uh, subprime scandal just stole millions and millions of deeds. And there are now only hundreds of thousands of homeless, but by God, uh, those it's a six-to-one ratio of empty houses, condos, apartments, uh, whatever. And, uh, and I would look at that reality before you start tearing down public buildings. I'd be, you put the public buildings to use, you know, senior centers, community centers, uh, city well, centers. They, they, they have those. The one thing that the, the neighbors the neighborhoods could benefit from would, would be access to their parking lots. But other than that, um, they, they kind of are just sitting there. I am going to hold you there, though, because I, right, I do have care. some other callers. You have a good day. And uh, 508-996-0500, you are next on WBSM. Hi, Tim. Morning. Hi, I was just wondering, and I don't know if you can, if this is confidential or not, but I just have the feeling that Bill's coming back on a different slot during the day. Uh, no, there's so, I mean, so we'd certainly want to utilize him as a fill-in person for sure. So you might hear him pop in now and then, but, um, you know, he was, if you remember was he was departing he was saying how you know he was considering doing a weekend show i'm really hoping really hoping that that's the case uh so that we can still hear him at least every week oh i had a feeling that he was going to switch back to his afternoon shift well like where brian is right now um no i mean i think if we if if he wanted to do that if he wanted to do that we we would have just we could have just done that but we wouldn't have uh we wouldn't have made a big deal. We would have just said, hey, we're going to flip time slots. But Phil yeah. Phil would have had to fight me for the right to be able to sleep in until 7, <laughs> 7 a.m. That's a great shift being on 9 to noon because you don't, you can go to bed you can go to bed late and you don't have to get up early. So it works out well. But no, yeah. no, no. Uh, as far as I know, you know, he's, he's going to be semi-retired. But like I said, you'll still hear him here because especially this time of year when everybody's going to be taking vacation time, you know, that yeah. gives him a chance to have a nice summer too on only having to work a limited amount of time. So, Yeah, because Brian's not going to stay on that shift, right? Uh, no, I think we're going to have some, some different voices coming in and, and covering that during the time. So I know oh. uh, next, next week Marcus will be in during that shift. Oh, so okay, we'll, we'll we'll have all kinds of new folks hopefully uh, down the line for you to hear too because I'm always trying to find some some new folks we can work into the rotation. Okay, you have a great day. You as well. Take care. Bye. At 508-996-0500. Uh, and one of the things that I like about you know hometown radio like this is, as Phil always pointed out, this is your your hometown radio station. Is that when you bring somebody on? who can offer perspective and can offer insight to things that are going on locally, you also start to realize like uh, just how tuned in they are to a lot of things. And that 
gives you access to, to stories and information that you might not have gotten otherwise. You know, so when we when we're trying to find folks that can come in here and help us out and, you know, be guests and contribute to the programs and all those kind of things, they end up sticking around and working their way and becoming fill in host and maybe becoming host. Look at somebody like Jessica Machado, who uh, the first time that I met her, she came on with Barry to talk about school safety in Somerset and she would contribute to his program now and then she contributed to my program now and then and it became obvious that she was going to be good at doing this so we made her a fill-in host and then she was so good at it we said hey how would you like a show on Saturdays so see these are the these are the ways that we can organically add to the talent roster here and bring you people that can actually offer you insight and perspective here on things on a local level and and by the way part of the reason why I wanted to make sure we got Jessica on here is because everybody that lives Everybody that's on the station lives within a concentrated area on this side of the South Coast. She's on the other side of the South Coast, and she can bring all different kinds of perspectives and information and topics in as well. She's more plugged into the things that happen on that side of things. So it works out. It makes for a nice balance. And, uh, you know, we want to have diversity of topics. We want to have diversity of perspectives. We want to have people that you can call in and agree with, and we want to have people that you can call in and fight with. It all It all shakes out to make for much more interesting and engaging conversation and that's what it's all about 508-996-0500 if you want to take part in that or you can send us an app chat message on the wbsm app but i'm looking at the clock right now and i've, I've got about 10 minutes here before i'm done for the morning and for the week for my first week covering the morning slot here and i'm thinking to myself maybe i should celebrate one week of Remembering to wake up on time and not sleeping through the alarm, but taking myself out to some breakfast, right? Why not treat myself, right? So I think what I might do is I might head on down to just another Phoenix in Dartmouth because that is where I like to treat myself with all of their unique menu items. If you have never been there, they have all of your breakfast favorites. They also have some twists on some of your favorites. So, you know, I'm a big hash guy. I love corned beef hash. If you go to a restaurant... In this area, not only might they have corned beef hash, they may also have linguisa hash. But at Justin or the Phoenix, they have Cherise hash, which you get that little extra kick with your hash. And so I like that. Also, you know, you can get cheese rolls stuffed with anything. Different meats, different vegetables, all the vegetables, all the meats, whatever you want, they can stuff your cheese roll with whatever it is that you want to have in it. So it's not just the same regular cheese roll or linguisa cheese roll that you get everywhere else. You really can have some variety in there. And, of course, they have their daily specials every day where they have new and different things that you might not have ever thought of. And one of my one of the reasons I fell in love with Justin Other Phoenix was because I went there with a live show with Phil and they had red velvet pancakes. And they were amazing. And I'm not a pancake person. I usually don't like pancakes. I usually go for French toast. But the red velvet pancakes were incredible. And then I went and I discovered the Boston cream stuffed French toast. And it was all over for me after that. I love Boston cream. That's the best breakfast around as far as I'm concerned. So check them out. Just another Phoenix. They're located on Fawns Corner Road in Dartmouth. And remember, too, you can get their full menu through their drive through window. Just call ahead. Tell them what you want. You can pull right up into the drive through window and pick it up. You don't even have to get out of the car. How is that for convenient? All right. So if you get a chance to check them out and you try some of those new items, let me know. Tell me what you had and what you thought of it. You can send me an app chat message. 
message or an email, Tim at WBSM.com. We're talking about different and interesting food converse, com- combinations, and nobody does it better than just another Phoenix, Fawns Corner Road in Dartmouth. We'll be right back. Should be knocking on wood if you're getting ready to drive to the Taylor Swift concert tonight or any night this weekend because it's going to be a traffic nightmare. Try to avoid Route 1 if you can. If you don't have tickets, don't try to go to the stadium. They're not going to let you into the parking lot if you don't have a ticket already. They are not going to allow anybody to be out in the parking lot selling tickets. So don't even bother going there if you don't have a ticket. I know you want to be there with all the other Swifties. You want to tailgate. You want to do all that. Don't do it. Save yourself the trouble. You're going to wait three hours in traffic to get to the entrance of the parking lot for them to tell you, sorry, you can't come in. And then it's probably going to be another two hours waiting just to get past everything so you can get back home. So don't do it. Not worth the trouble. Uh, but if you do go and you have a good time and all that stuff, you know, good for you, let me know. Send me an app chat message or an email. Let me know how long you end up spending in traffic uh, to be able to get there. Because if you don't leave early enough, you might miss some of the songs. So uh, what time is it? 8.58? Yeah. Start getting there now. Maybe you got a shot at getting there by the time the show starts. But for the rest of us, we'll be home watching the Celtics tonight as they look to try to even the Eastern Conference Finals with the Heat. I'll be back with you next week, bright and early at 6 a.m. And as I mentioned, Marcus will be in here in in the mid midday too. So we're going to have uh, a lot to talk with you about then. If you want to go gamping with me, Maybe we'll, maybe we'll get one of those tents behind the conjuring house. We'll go camping some weekend and we can hang out back there and see if we get any UFO activity or Bigfoot activity or any of that. I've been out in those woods and I can tell you it is creepy. So if you want a nice creepy experience, you can read about it at WBSM.com and on the app. And also if you have any of those bear sightings this weekend, send me uh, photos, send me videos, Tim at WBSM.com or via the WBSM app. If you want to send it via app chat, you can do that too. You can send video. You can send audio. It doesn't just have to be, you know, one or the other. You can do it all there. So uh, check that out. And I think you will, if you haven't downloaded it already, you'll find that you'll use it quite a bit. And also I want to thank everybody that called in this week, that sent in app chat messages, uh, that showed support and took part in the conversation as I come in here and I'm covering for the mornings. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.